Hi there, this is Chris Walter, pastor at Oakdale Church, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you to grow in your faith and helps you to see God in your life. Enjoy the message. Our reading this morning comes from the book of Malachi in the first chapter, verses 1 through 5. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we have been shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heaven's armies reply, they may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as a land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. When you see the destruction for yourselves, you will say, truly the Lord's greatness reaches far beyond Israel's borders. Amen. I want to share with you a very brief story that took place 60, almost 80 years ago now. It happened in the 40s, so if my math is wrong, I apologize. But it it was in regards to two sisters. One of the sisters' names was Corey Tenenbaum. And her sister and her lived outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And they lived at a time of great uncertainty. A great change was afoot. Not a change they wanted, but a change nonetheless. In a few years, they would find themselves being taken by the Nazis. They were separated for a very short period of time. Eventually, they would both end up in the same concentration camp and in the same dorm. A dorm that was filled with hundreds and hundreds of women. A journal was later found, and in it, it was written that the conditions in which they slept Well, the word horrible wouldn't even describe it. The the beds were merely nailed together pieces of plywood. They were stacked four high. It was about two foot by three foot in space. There was straw for the individuals to sleep on. It was rotted straw. Cora would write that one day she woke with bites all over her legs and couldn't understand what the bites were from. And her and her sister would begin to look for where the bites were coming from. And eventually they discovered that the hay was infested with fleas. Cora wrote how distraught she felt, helpless, lost, that God had forgotten all about her. Until her sister reminded her of a passage they had read out of the first Thessalonians. You see, Cora had snuck in a Bible into this camp. It was a tiny little Bible that she kept in her pocket. And her sister reminded her of this reading out of 1 Thessalonians. It reads this. And we urge you, brothers, abolish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks 
in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, giving thanks in all circumstances, even for her, is difficult. We might even look at her story and say, how could she ever give thanks for her situation? But yet she would later write, praise be to God, because I realized God was even with me there. This letter that we hear this morning out of Malachi is a reminder to us that God is always with us, even in times of change, even in moments of uncertainty in our lives or the lives of the world. God is always at work. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes it's as clear as a star in the sky. And other times it is so hard to see through the fog that we wonder, is God there? Our passage opened up this morning in in verse one, and it says an oracle and the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. An oracle. This word oracle translated strictly means a burden. The prophet Malachi delivering a message of great burden to the people of Israel. It weighed on him to share this message with them because they were forgetting about one very important thing in their lives. You see, the people of Israel had been in Babylon. They had been in captivity. They were freed from that captivity and returned to the promised land. Yet they weren't filled with joy. They weren't filled with hope because not all came with them. They were smaller in number. The land that they returned to wasn't producing enough crops. And so people were going hungry. The land wasn't ripe anymore. And now because their numbers were smaller, their neighbors were stronger. The Israelites thought for certain it was only a matter of time before they were taken again into captivity. And so Malachi delivers this message of burden to them. Because he wonders, will they hear this message? And it opens up in verse 2. And it says, I have loved you. God saying to the people of Israel and to you and me, God has loved you. Meaning, God has never stopped loving you. That love that he speaks of. Is not a wavering love. It's not a love that comes and goes like the wind, but it is a love that is unconditional. It is love that has never changed. It is a love that when you yourself took your first breath and your parents fell in love with you, your grandparents fell in love with you, your siblings fell in love with you, at least until you could talk and start to drive them nuts, you were loved. And God loved you before that moment. God has loved you for eternity and will love you for eternity. Yet, the people of Israel asked the very question that some of us have wondered, I suspect, from time to time. Maybe not all of us, but maybe a few of us have wondered. Really, you love me so much. But where is your love? How can I see your love? All this that's going on around me right now, where is your love in this? My loved one is hurting and in pain. How is that love, God? Why aren't you taking that away? 
I'm struggling to make ends meet. Where's your love, God? The people of Israel are asking God, our lives are not like they were before we went into captivity in Babylon. They're kind of not really any better. In fact, they're maybe even a little worse. So where are you at, God? Where's your love for us? God asks them a question back. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Well, that's a profound question. That's a deep question. I'm sure if you ask God, how have you loved me? And God said to you, well, is Esau Jacob's brother? Your response will be, if you know the scriptures, yes, Esau is Jacob's brother. But what does that have to do with anything? God is saying to the Israelites, do you forget who I chose? I chose Jacob. I chose Jacob because Jacob had taken his inheritance and and bought it all on food. Blown it away, basically. But yet I chose Jacob and not Esau. Why? Because Jacob remains faithful. Jacob is with me. Even when he was going hungry, he was still with me. And then God says, and I have hated Esau. I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. Now, we have to be careful in this point of the scripture, because while God uses the word hatred, it's not hatred in a mean sense. It's not like when we say, well, I hate Brussels sprouts. Or I hate that person over there. Or I hate the fact that Tennessee beat Indiana at the last second on the football game that really broke my heart. It's not that at all. No, God is saying, I don't hate Esau. I'm saddened by Esau's choices. The distance between me and Esau now is so great that I worry he's never going to come back. He's not going to hear me anymore. And I want him back in relationship with me. This is the word hatred here. It's almost like God is saying, I'm so broken hearted over the loss of Esau. Because he doesn't have to be far from me. But yet that's what he chooses. Because of that, I have made his hill a desolation and his heritage a desert for jackals. A desert for jackals. The word jackals here is translated as uncertainty. Have you ever faced a time in your life when it just seems like the future is completely uncertain? So much so that it gives you stress. It gives you anxiety. It gives you uncertainty of what might lie ahead. This is what God is saying he's done for Esau. He said, I have given him a place of uncertainty. And the truth is, though, for us, we know. We have certainty. And that is in Jesus Christ. That is in the gift that God has given you. That is the one thing I can say with certainty will remain unchanged. That it will always be the same. It's the love that God has for you in his son, Jesus Christ, born into this world from you so that you may know you have a way to be with God in eternity. Just like those that have gone before you. 
the saints that have come and left, they are with God today. God has wiped away all pain and suffering. That is the one certainty we can have. And that is the one certainty in the book of Malachi. God begins to speak up through Malachi to the people of Israel and to us. And then he goes on and he says, and if Edom, which Edom is a neighbor to Israel, they're more powerful, they're stronger, they can wipe away Israel without any hesitation. But yet God says, even if they themselves say, well, we have been ruined, but we'll rebuild because we're strong. We'll rebuild. It's no problem. We don't need God. We can do what we need to do on our own strength. God says they may do that, but I shall tear them down until they are called the wicked country. and The people with whom the Lord is angry. Edom was a place of great sin. God said, even if they continue to rebuild and get knocked down and rebuild and knocked down again because of their sin and their departure from me, I, he says, I shall call them the wicked country and all shall know this to be the truth. Because sin pushes us away from God. It creates a chasm between us and our father in heaven. It creates a chasm so great sometimes that we no longer want to see the light. But the light remains, doesn't it? Because that is the promise that God made to us on that Christmas morning with a child. That no matter how far we go, the light cannot be diminished by darkness. Unless we choose to turn our backs to it. That's what happens in the land of Edom. That is what happens in our world even today as we look around and wonder. Where is God at? We have to always remember that God is present in everything and everywhere we look. This book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, is a writing from a prophet to you. Saying to you, I know that you may be going through something today. I know that you might go through something in the future. Or maybe you've gone through something in the past. But in any case, remember with certainty that God is in the midst of it. God is there. Why? Because you are his beloved children. But that sin and brokenness will pull us away from that. But God doesn't go anywhere. And one day we shall see with our own eyes. And we shall say, great, great is the Lord beyond these borders, beyond the borders of change and uncertainty, beyond the place that we wish would never happen that does happen, beyond death, beyond suffering. We shall see and then we shall praise God's name in the heavens. You know, this year, 2020, will be without a doubt a year of change for every single one of us in this room. For our children downstairs. For our neighbors. I can assure you of that change is coming. Change will happen for us all. But how we walk in that change will speak to the world our love for God. Our love for his son, Jesus Christ, and the understanding that the Holy Spirit is working in and through all of us. If you turn on the news, you'll know change is coming. 
you'll know it's right around the corner in a lot of ways and in a lot of places. One change that you may or may not have heard of, but I feel a need and necessity to share it with you this morning, is that in the United Methodist Church, a change is coming. A change will be happening with certainty at this point. I don't know what fully that change may or may not look like. But come May of this year, we will know the future of the Methodist Church. And I can assure you it will be different than it is today. What that looks like, only God knows. I want to share with you this morning a letter from Bishop Gregory Palmer, who oversees the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church. Maybe some of you have read this, maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, I want to share it with you because it's important to hear the words that he shares in this letter. And he opens like this, and these are his words. By now, many of you have heard or read the headlines regarding the future of the United Methodist Church and a proposed separation plan. Headlines are often deceiving, which may increase the number of visitors to their social media channels, but often confuse the reader. Depending on the news outlet you frequent, their interpretation of the proposal may affect your immediate response. And for that reason, I urge you to refer to the following information. The first link will be found on the West Ohio Conference website. This information comes directly from the group who created the plan that I, Bishop Palmer, was a member of. After reading this document, please take time to read the links within the story, too. The United Methodist News has provided this interpretation, and there's a link on the West Ohio Conference to read more. He goes on to write, as I stated earlier, I was a part of this group who developed and supports this plan. Our process was robust, prayerful, respectful, and hopeful. The hope is to offer something to the delegates that will assist in managing well the change that is already afoot. Some of you may be wondering how this may impact you. Well, I offer you this. Keep loving and serving Jesus. I want you to hear that again. Keep loving and serving Jesus. Because regardless of what change takes place in the world, especially within the church, we must always remain loving and serving Jesus. He goes on to continue to write, keep loving and serving your neighbor. Keep loving and serving your church and your community. There is no immediate impact. This proposal is currently in a narrative format and legislation is only now being developed. Only the 2020 General Conference can take any decisive action. The General Conference will take place on May 5th through the 15th in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. This approach, if adopted, it'll provide a clear level field for conferences and local churches to make decisions if they feel they need to make one. I want to reiterate that last part, if they feel they need, because it does not require, as this proposal is laid out, for any church to make any decision or to do anything. He goes on and says, it is crucial to understand that no entity is required to vote to stay or to go unless they so desire to do so. There will be opportunities for you to learn more in the days and weeks to come. United Methodist News intends to write a very serious series of articles a live stream event will take place on Monday, June, January 13th to provide further clarity and explanations of the plan. 
Once we receive more details about the live stream event, we will make them available on the conference website and social media channels. In hope and prayer that we will all be indefatigable in pursuit of the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Your servant through Jesus, Gregory V. Palmer, Bishop, West Ohio Annual Conference. And what I can say to all of this and what I little I know at this point is that a change is happening in the United Methodist Church. This proposed plan, which is available for you to read, does allow for a new denomination to be created out of the West, out of the United Methodist Church. What that denomination may or may not look like, I cannot say. But all of this stems from 47 years of struggle, strife, of confrontation, of dialogue, of debate. This proposed change, as it says, separation, is to provide an opportunity so that hope may grow. That those who have been waiting can come in the doors and find Jesus. But that I believe that we are called to continue the course of loving our neighbors in this community. For that is what God has called us to do, is to love each other, to support each other. Because none of us in this room are perfect. We're all broken vessels. We're called to be a family in the body of Christ. So whatever happens in Minnesota happens. But I know my mandate that God has called me to do will remain unchanged because my love for Jesus Christ trumps it all. My love for the community that God places me in trumps it all. That no matter what the organization structure looks like, I have been called, just as you have been called, to bring hope to the world. To shower love into each other's lives and support each other. To be the light in this community that we live. To share the hope of a child born in a manger. That is our calling. And to do so with love and grace. And the hope of Jesus Christ. In the coming weeks, I plan on having more conversation and having a, a meeting where we can all come together as the church and, and understand what may or may not happen. But until then, I encourage you to be in prayer for each other, to be in prayer for the church, both globally, but more importantly, locally. God is calling us into this world, into the community right outside the doors to help our neighbors, to share hope with each other. To be the light of the world. Amen.